The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a Black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass. You become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. <laughs> Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the MJ cast. I'm Charles Thompson and I am joined today by Taj Jackson. Taj, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Good. What time is it where you are? Uh, right now it's officially 2.14 p.m. Yeah, sorry, I should say that. PM. On a Saturday. So you've, On you've a Saturday. given up your weekend to speak to us. Of course, of course. Yeah, this is this is free time for me right now, so I'm happy to be here. What would you have been doing if you weren't here? What have we dragged you away from? Um, probably watching a documentary or two, or or probably um, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably be upstairs playing with my kids as well. Well, it's the uh, first time you've joined us on the show since uh, your new daughter Tylee was born. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How is she doing? She's amazing. I mean, um, she's less than two months old and she's just, she sleeps most of the day. And then at night she either sleeps through the night or she has like one of those nights where she's crying all night. So it's kind of a toss up, but that's what babies do at that age. So, (laughs) so kind of used to it. I feel very blessed with three kids, to be honest with you. It's still surreal. Is three the end? Was that your goal to have your three T's? Yeah, that that was actually always the goal uh, with me and Tayana because she, you know, is a triplet, and so she, she's used to three. I was used to three. Two never sat right with us, and so we decided we wanted to go for a third, and I'm very happy we did. And that, I just know three, and I know the dynamics of three in that. So it's it's really cool. It's kind of like history repeating itself. And it, it, the the crazy thing is too is that it's just they're all girls, and that way, and my dad had all boys. So that's that is the uh, the difference in that. And uh, how is Tiana doing? She's doing great. I mean, she's you know obviously up at night you know with the baby, but um, besides that, she's doing really well. As I said, we just feel really blessed to have you know three incredible daughters. We've just seen the um, the photographs going up of your visit to Vegas a couple of days ago. We're recording this on the second of September. So obviously a couple of days ago was the Blue Sapphire uh, mm-hmm. celebration in uh, Vegas. So how was that? Um, that was great. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Vegas is always a lot of fun for me because we, we did have the option to record this earlier. And I wanted to make sure we recorded this after Michael's birthday and after the celebration so that I could kind of talk about it a little. But um, look, it um, I get to see a lot of people and bump into a lot of people and and that was that's always been you know something that's very exciting for me. The one show was great in terms of it's hard for me because I have a critical eye, and I also I've seen so many shows with my uncle in terms of right beside me, and so I I try and not nitpick stuff just because 
um, I know what he would like and what he wouldn't like and stuff like that. But the the show itself was very entertaining, and obviously everyone there loved it in that way. So it's it's just something that I have to get over. Were you there for the um, the panel discussion with um, Miles Frost? No, I wasn't. Um, I and it's not to to slight Miles or anything like that. I haven't even seen the Broadway play yet, so um, I um, didn't go to that. So that's going to be coming to um, probably to Los Angeles on the tour in a couple of months, and then it's going to be moving to London. So do you know if there are any plans? Well, will you be going to see it in Los Angeles when it hits you? And are there any plans for you or the rest of the family to travel to London for the premiere? I would prefer, honestly, to go to London to see it, to be honest, because Miles is going to be performing there for that aspect of it. And um, I kind of feel like I missed out the first time. And so I would prefer to do that. I'm sure the traveling show is incredible as well. I just, I think the first time I want to see it, I want to see it with Miles to kind of see what it was like in that way. He's extremely an incredible, um, cool and nice guy. I got to meet him um, during the Halloween party last year and and very honored to, to be playing Michael in that way. So um, I'm very excited for his success and, and happy for him. So do you have a, a plan to come to London or is that just uh, something at the moment that you would like to do? That's something I would like to do that I would aim to do, I would say. I haven't really looked up the dates of when it is, but I will make myself available to go and probably will try to find a way to go with my family. You just mentioned the um, uh, Havenhurst party. Of course, that's not happening this year. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it wasn't happening was because it was supposed to be being used as a location for the biopic. Mm -hmm. However, since that announcement, we've gone into the Hollywood strikes. The Hollywood strikes have hit uh, because of the dispute over AI and the rights that writers and actors should have over their work and over their images and stuff. So I guess firstly, is it too late now for the party to be reinstated if the biopic does end up being delayed? And secondly, is there a risk if the strike continues and the biopic is delayed that you're looking at no party next year either? Yes to both of those things. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th there is that risk in, in that way. Um, there's no way I don't think that we could do the party. Now, we usually start the party four to five months in advance. Usually we start in February. So that where we would be way behind and kind of playing catch up to pull off something as elaborate that we do. Uh, next year, I'm very worried because, yeah, um, if the strike st is still happening, then obviously um, that would eat in on the party happening next year as well. But I do know I have a bunch of friends in both that are actors and writers. And so, you know, for me, supporting them is the most, I guess, my priority if that makes sense, because the AI is a big issue of it, but it's also um, streaming and and getting residuals and, and, and fair pay for that as well. And coming from the music side, I can tell you, you know, that's a problem that artists have today in terms of music artists, in terms of with a Spotify or whatever, is just getting your fair share of what really 
I think it's like you have to, I don't know what it is with Spotify, but you have to have millions and millions of plays to get like dollars, you know, in that. And so it's, it's, it's crazy. You would think that by playing and, and supporting your artists that they're making bank, but it's really, it's, it's an, it's an interesting industry. And so how important is the party to DDJ foundation and what will you have to do to mitigate if you do lose the party again next year? Well, the party is one of our main fundraisers, you know, um, fundraising events. So it's, it's very important to us. It usually helps fund the next year. So this has been kind of a hit for us. But at the same time, uh, you know, we, we're always grateful to be able to do it at Havenhurst. And that way, and piggyback off of whether it's Bee Gees party or um, a Hillale party or whatever it is. So, you know, we don't want to. Um, uh, I was going to say uh, a saying about the gift horse in the mouth, uh, wh- whatever it is. But we, you know, we're just happy that we get involved in and are able to do it at Havenhurst. So we totally understand if Havenhurst is occupied because of the biopic. And we'll, um, because when I was there in 2019, I remember I was there when Prince was talking to Hamid and he was saying that he would like to do it one year at Neverland. But are you going to hit the same problem with Neverland if that too is a biopic location? If it's timed um, at the same time, yeah, probably we would. Ideally, I mean, look, Neverland would be the ultimate place to do a Halloween party or to do any kind of fundraising event. It has the grounds for it, the space for it. And Ron Burkle, who owns Neverland right now, is very charitable in his own sense. So it could be the perfect place. I think it's just going to come to timing and whether we can work it out or not. When the um, announcement was made that there was not going to be a party this year, there was some, it did say we'll be holding other events at Havenhurst instead at some point this year. But I don't think, I, I haven't seen anything about that coming to fruition. Was that a Heal LA thing? Or was that supposed to be a DDJ tie-in as well? Uh, that was more Heal, Heal LA, um, I would say. We don't have any plans of doing anything at Havenhurst. Okay. And so talking of the strike, I guess that brings us neatly onto your project. So will the strike have any impact on your project or as a nonfiction documentary project, will it be effectively immune? The only way that the strike could have affected my project just because um, unless there's a writer that was WGA or there's no actors in it for that because it's a documentary or docuseries uh, would, would have been the DGA but the DGA made a deal already. So the DGA is not striking. And that would have been the only hang up in, in that equation. So we're kind of set in terms of we don't have any obstacles in that way. Thank goodness. Because there was a lot of obstacles beforehand. So this is kind of, in a way, cleared space for us, unfortunately, you know, at the expense of friends and people that are in the industry. Are you in the, uh, the DGA? I am not currently in the DGA, but I will be from this project. So I am going to be in the DGA. Oh, I see. But it would have potentially affected you in terms of, uh, for example, cinematographers, that sort of thing. Uh, Cinematographers are in a different union than the DGA. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Um, so that that doesn't affect them as well. I mean, obviously, I shouldn't say that. It affects them because if there's no movies being shot or no TV shows being shot, then cinematographers don't have work. So it affects everyone in the industry. But in terms of um, with the docuseries, um, it's not going to hit us as hard, I should say. Oh, okay. What would the DGA's impact? So if the DGA had been on strike, what would the impact have been for you then? If I would have continued on, it might have hurt my chances of getting into the DGA. Um, there's a thing called oh. being a scab, which is where you you do something anyway in terms of you kind of take that risk. I don't know any people that are writing or writing scripts right now, but if you are writing scripts to sell to a Netflix or an Amazon or a TV um, channel and um, the WGA found out and you would be blacklisted from them and not be able to join them. I see. So it's pretty serious in that way. And, And it should be because you're, you're crossing the picket line. Luckily, as I said, the DGA uh, made a deal already so it doesn't affect the docuseries okay and so with the docuseries uh i mean questions are pouring into us all the time so i'll i'll go through some of them yeah in fact elise even i don't know if you've heard it yet but our last episode was elise's q a and there were even some people sending questions to elise i obviously think elise is uh <laughs> your spokesperson or something yeah yeah so uh obviously late last year you did uh, a couple of interviews where you said that your plan was to have the docuseries out by the end of 2023. So we're now at September. So is it safe to assume that that is no longer the plan? Yeah, that's very safe to assume. That stopped being the plan when I heard that the thriller documentary was going to be released fall of this year when the state announced that or when it was announced that that was the case, I have to be very careful not to tread on people's uh, toes in that way and give it the space because I'm going to be working kind of not hand in hand with the estate, but I definitely will be working with the estate for the docuseries in terms of I'm going to need music. I'm going to need certain things and that aspect of it. So once they decided that they were, and, and, and I'm assuming that's still the case, but once I found out that they were going to be taking up that kind of fall, uh, winter time slot uh, and releasing around Halloween, I think, then it was like, well, I, I can't be releasing around that time anyway. So it kind of freed me up from the rush aspect of it. But as it's looking right now, the, the whole 2024, because of the strike, is is open. So it's not really as much of a rush. I just want to make sure this is done correctly because it's my uncle and, and quality wise it's done right because it's my uncle. I think my one prerequisite for me was always to get this out before the biopic. The reason for that was just because I knew the media would really hound the biopic of like, why wasn't this addressed? Why wasn't this addressed? It kind of gives them that freedom now for the biopic to say, this wasn't addressed or we didn't want to go into that because it's addressed here. So why don't you guys watch this, you know, that Taj made or blah, blah, blah. So that kind of, it works hand in hand with them. They can address the stuff that they want to address because there's only a certain amount of time in a biopic as well in a movie. 
And so if it was up to the media, they would want the whole thing to be about allegations and, and all the lies and BS that we have to deal with. But for me, that's what this docuseries deals with. By the way, as far as the biopic is concerned, the, uh, the director gave an interview the other day, Antoine Fuqua, and mm-hmm. he said the film will follow Michael's life all the way from Gary, Indiana to Wimbledon. Have you any idea what he was talking about when he said that he was um, going to follow Michael's life all the way up to Wimbledon? Uh, maybe Wembley Stadium is what he meant. I mean, we're Americans, so, you know, if I wouldn't, (laughs) (laughs) he probably meant Wembley Stadium because I, and I say that not knowing, I say that only because I know the Bohemian Rhapsody one ended on a performance from Queen. I think it was Live Aid or whatever it was. Uh, So I'm literally guessing. So no one take my word as, but when you said Wimbledon, the first thing I thought of was Wembley Stadium. And and not be and being American and thinking, you know, maybe that's what he thought he said in terms of or what he thought he heard. I remember when um, when Jafar was announced as the star. It must have been just before our Christmas episode, I think, because I remember that we interviewed you very shortly after, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you had been at um, Jafar's screen test or makeup test or something it was uh i think you said the day that they got him all dressed up as michael is that right yes and no uh what graham did uh was he he got a bunch of the cousins together and all of us we watched uh jafar's makeup and screen test and he jafar was there that day too as well we watched it at um at calabasas or at the house uh, the house that they have at calabasas and that's what I saw. I didn't see the makeup or screen test as it was being done. And I didn't see it prior to all my other cousins seeing it. My dad was able to see it prior and he loved it and he, he raved about it, but it took, it was a couple months later that I got to see it. And um, it cleared up, to be honest, all my reservations about at least who can play Michael, because that was the, that was the biggest thing for me. Like there's no one that can play him. That's what I would say. I didn't say it out loud. I mean, I probably did in live streams. I said, that's my main concern. Always was my main concern because I didn't want it to look like a cheap knockoff or imitation or cheesy. But what I can tell you about what I saw my cousin do, which I, you know, I know what we're capable of, I guess, as we're always underestimated as Jackson's sometimes, but when I tell you, and I've said this, I, I had a tear that came down my eye because it was a tear of pride, but it was a tear of, of this guy really pulled it off. I'm so excited for people to see that aspect of it. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened in that way is, is I saw this, the hair and makeup test. I don't know the right terminology, but he was in hair and makeup and, and an outfit. And I can't really say much more i probably said too much already but i it was honestly amazing and it it, it at least quieted my doubts about jafar being able to be michael now whether or not the script or whatever you know that's another thing that um off the sea there's so much tender love and um care that graham is taking to this he really wants the fans and the public to love this and to really see Michael as someone that was amazing and that was taken advantage of. And, 
And so I'm looking forward to the biopic. I, I really am. I The reason why I'm doing the docuseries before the biopic is just because it's almost like, if I can use an analogy, it's like clearing the runway from all the crap that would be in the runway. And so let the biopic fly because the media is going to come hard for the biopic. And, and so if my docuseries can clear that, that space and all those doubts from the naysayers or at least, you know, have a, a point of reference of like, well, you didn't watch this. So, you know, you really shouldn't talk. Then that's what I want to do as well. I mean, the main focus of the docuseries is to cement my uncle's legacy. And I, I want to say one thing just because it kind of bothers me. There's this misconception. I said that I was going to, in the docuseries, deal with the humanitarian aspect of my uncle in t- terms of the human side because I wanted people to to get to know him because you you have to care about someone in order to sympathize or empathize with someone. And um, some people twisted my words and said that I wasn't going to talk about the allegations or go over the allegations or or attack the allegations and the court case. And that's that's farthest from the truth that ne- that plan had never changed. The whole thing is about talking about, and I hate to say allegations, I call them the extortions because basically he, my uncle was extorted. And so that extortion period, talking about that and then also the court case are two very important things for me in that way to clear up. Now, when you talk about Graham, is that Graham King? Yes, that's Graham King. Sorry. So he's the producer, right, of the biopic? He's the producer of the, of the biopic. He's the shepherd of the biopic. He's the one that kind of has been, in a good way, taking his time and you know, meeting with Prince, meeting with the family, getting stories, talking to people. I'm not allowed to say, I was about to say who, who he's talked to, but he's doing his research and he's doing his homework. And people closest to Michael, he's reaching out to them and getting the whole picture. And so I'm very happy with that. Just need that to translate onto the onto the big screen. Yeah, so I don't want you to give away any secrets because uh, I don't want you to get in trouble. But in broad terms, it sounds like the family is quite involved then in the biopic. Well, Prince is directly involved. So that's one of the major things there. Earlier on, it was a very important program to involve you know, people like my dad, my uncle Jermaine, my uncle Jackie, like the brothers, I would say, into the equation. He has a history with the brothers and Michael from the past. I don't know exactly what it is, so I'm not going to say and just guess, but I do know he he does have that history. And to Graham's credit, he's been a fighter for Michael in that way in his legacy. He has the, the same prerequisite that I have that the people working on on whatever they're working on have to believe in Michael's innocence 100%. You know, he doesn't want people on his crew that are negative people or that naysayers in that way. And I, I really respect that. Speaking of the, uh, the brothers, can I just ask how Marlon is doing? Marlon's doing amazing. For my birthday, Terrell surprised me and, and I got to talk to my Uncle Marlon and my Uncle Jackie was there and his wife, Emily. We did all this live stream, uh, not live stream, um, FaceTime. But I, I was so excited to see my Uncle Marlon. And I always get checkups from Terrell in terms of how he's doing. And Terrell says he, he leaves us in the dust. Like he, he, he hasn't lost a step 
basically. And he's, he's the first one, you know, on the stage and the last one off the stage, basically got to pull him off the stage. So he's doing amazing from what I've heard. Yeah. We saw that he was back on stage, um, with your dad and with, uh, Jackie and with Tarrell now yeah. in the group as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. Yeah. I, I, that was the first thing I asked was like, how's he doing? And, and Tarrell's like, man, he, he's, he's outshining all of us. He's not like cutting down choreography. He's, he's, you know, he, he's a superhero in that way, in my eyes. Are you able to say publicly what the situation with, is with Marlon or is that something that the family is choosing to not make public? I personally probably shouldn't anyway, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. So that kind of helps me out not knowing. I don't know exactly what it is. So I wouldn't even speak on it, not knowing exactly what it is, because um, if I was wrong, then it, that I'd, I'd be spreading something. I don't know exactly what it is. I know. I just know he's doing better. Well, that's good to know. There was a story that came out a while ago suggesting that the brothers were all going to be working with Janet on some kind of reunion TV show. Was there any truth to that? Was it uh, a classic media fake Jackson story? I'm not sure about that. I know that Janet announced that she was going to do another uh, documentary or docuseries, and part of that was going to be reuniting with the brothers. So that's probably where the media story came. But I'm not, you know, that's all I know about it. I don't know anything else besides that. That'd be exciting, though. It'd be incredible. Back to the uh, biopic. Have you, again, don't tell us what's in it, but have you seen the script? I saw such an early version of the script that I wouldn't even want to talk about it just because I know it's changed so much. I mean, I saw it probably three years ago, so it's changed a lot. Then I, it could have had a complete rewrite and I wouldn't know. And that was before Prince really was officially on board as well. So I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about an old script that was three years old, knowing that it's been changed and that. But I can say that as long as they get the essence, I know that, and why I'm saying that, Charles, is only because I know that the script I read is not, has been changed a lot to better suit who Michael was after the stories that Graham had heard from other people closest to him. So, um, I, I would feel like I was giving Graham an injustice by talking about a script that prior to him getting input from the family and friends. Yeah, no, I don't want you to tell us what's in it because you probably will be um, sued or certainly will be banned from seeing the future versions of the script. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's changed as well. But um, just so that you know, and, and I have a great relationship with Graham. Graham's awesome in that way only because I see his passion for Michael. I see the passion of getting the story out. And all I ask for, honestly, is someone that is spearheading that believes 100% in my uncle's innocence. I feel like if that will trickle down into the script, trickle down into the performances, trickle down into the director and everything else, because he's put he's the person putting it all together and unwaving support. And so, and I got that. And so that's why um, I, I guess I can say this. Um, Graham's called me up a couple of times and asked questions and, you know, to, to try and get it right. 
and that and i respect that do you so do you know if any of the fans i suppose i think the the thing that pops up time and again with the fans is that they're worried because of the because of his bohemian rhapsody connection yeah and the I amount of the story in bohemian rhapsody which was not true i think the fans are a bit nervous that what's going to come out the other end with this biopic is something which is not quite accurate not quite right so do you again well i'm not asking you what's in the script but do you know if any family members are being actually shown the script can having any input into the script or is it more a case of graham talking to you and getting these stories and then feeding them back to the writer are you having any interactions with the writer oh no i haven't had no interactions with the writer and and i as i said i haven't seen the scripts probably for the past three years but I, I understand the concern of that. I, um, it's really hard because a biopic takes liberties. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing a docuseries because a biopic in its nature takes liberties. And it's not only Bohemian Rhapsody, majority of them do, especially if they're on someone that's famous. They'll, they'll condense stuff. They'll combine two events and make it one event just to simplify it for the audience and stuff like that. And I get it because I'm like that too, as, as a fan of MJ, of my uncle, I'm like such a strickler for the truth and this, and this didn't happen like that and blah, 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 blah. But, um, that's the, the biopics job is overall, they want people to come out, you know, um, understanding Michael and understanding who he was and, and really the, the, the beauty of Michael, I think that's their purpose as opposed to, you know, every one of these things is true. And that if it's something where they can combine an event and get the same thing to keep the movie going, they'll probably take that liberty just because that's what a biopic does. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, the Andy Cop. Firstly, most biopics I don't like. One I did like was Ray. I thought that was brilliant. Mm, I loved the Andy Kaufman biopic with Jim Mm. Carrey, Man on the Moon. However, Liberty is taken, as you say. And James Brown, Mm -hmm. not very good biopic. And Massive Liberty is taken with the facts there. So I think it's to be expected. But nonetheless, it doesn't stop the fans getting antsy about it. Yeah, of course. And I and I totally get it. And that's, as I said, that's one of the reasons why for the docuseries, it is all about the facts and it is about we're such stricklers for the accuracy aspect of it because that is more of this happened, this didn't happen, this happened, this didn't happen. It's the the truth is more important than the entertainment aspect of it in a docuseries for me. In a biopic, the entertainment aspect is more important, if that makes sense, because they want people to go and tell their friends to go watch it as well. Yeah. Okay. So with the with the strike, you're you're a Hollywood person. I'm in the heart of it. With yeah, I'm in Burbank, which is the heart yeah. of like yeah this this strike area. So what do you see happening with the strike? Do you see it getting wrapped up in time for the biopic to start shooting on schedule? Is it already behind schedule? I don't know what the plan was. Um, I think they're, this is speculation, but I think they're like literally at that threshold of having to possibly delay it. That's just my guess of it because I know that um, with Antoine, it was mainly about Equalizer 3 and giving that 
you know, the ample space before he started the biopic. But now that that's out and promotion wise, they were going to start the MJ thing right after that. So we're really coming up to that point. I think the fact that there's not really right now um, ending in sight for the strike is what's scaring a lot of people. Who is scared? Sorry, do you, what do you mean on the MJ biopic specifically, or just in Hollywood generally? I just mean in terms of uh, Hollywood in general, but also yeah, um, because uh, I, I'll get a little political. It is the case of the big guy or the big, you know, the big wig not being in touch with reality in in a way of what people are dealing with and um, are going through, and what a fair share is to people. You know, I'm trying not to put my own emotions from the music industry in, but you know, uh, it, it is the same. It's very similar. What you see on TV in terms of people is you see the top of the top that who's made it, but you you don't see all the people living paycheck to paycheck or doing um, waitress and waiter jobs to make ends meet or bartending jobs as some people, some of my friends do as to be an actor or to, to write a script. And it's a lottery thing. And so once you do make it and you don't get your fair share and the script that you wrote or this thing that you acted in and someone else is making a hundred to, you know, a thousand times more than you're making off of it. And it started from you. That's could be frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an industry in which everybody is freelance. Everybody is self employed. There's no pension when you're an actor, and you expendable. Just get a job and you get paid like, for it, you know. And yeah, and expendable, Charles. Like that's the problem with that industry. It's almost like, oh well, we'll just take the next up and coming person that's more hungry than you are to to take your place. It really is. There's always someone that can fill in your spot, so that you're always grinding. Yes. And there's, so as you said, no job security, but also no yep. pension. So the residuals are really important because if you don't have a pension, which you don't because you've not been employed by a company, you've just got hired onto one production, hired onto another production, and you get paid for your time, then if those residuals are not fair, then it basically means you can never retire. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that's that's why they're out there is because right now with certain um, platforms, the residuals aren't fair right now for them. Yeah, and that's where the streaming side comes into it, I think, isn't it? Where they basically they have quite a good or a reasonable deal if you're if you're on a show and then it gets sold onto cable or something. Yes, but if you're in a show and then it gets sold to Netflix, it gets licensed to appear on Netflix then the terms, because nobody gave a fuck whenever the last deal was negotiated about 20 years ago, nobody knew what Netflix was going to become. It was such a, a distant nothing at the time. I think that's what the residual side of the argument is about, isn't it? It's about the streaming services and how the actors are basically getting a fraction of the amount for a streaming residual that they would be for a cable residual. Yeah. Basically, yes, exactly, hundred percent. And there, and um, I know with the streamers, they don't even have to put out the number of what a show did. So you, there's re really no way of telling. It's almost like you know me being an artist and not knowing how many albums I sold because they're not they, they have it internally, but they're not telling you as the artist how many albums you sold, so that you can't really even hold them accountable for that.
And so, I mean, look, Spotify came in at the right time and kind of, I mean, iTunes was before that, but kind of really, I don't want to say save the industry from Napster, but it, it helped the industry in a way because at least people were paying something. But the deal that artists get from Spotify is nothing to be proud of either. It doesn't even go directly one-to-one. So if someone streams a 3T song or whatever, it goes into a big pot. And depending on the popularity of an artist, they get the bigger piece of that pie. So it's not even like, oh, I streamed your song a thousand times, so you're going to get X amount. It's more of like, no, that thousand times goes into a big pot. And then a Drake or, or Nicki Minaj or Taylor Swift will get the bigger slice of that pie. Rightfully so, if they're streaming millions of times more. But I'm just saying that's how it goes. So it's not a one-to-one. I think I read that one potential consequence of the strike is that you may, in the short term, see a big swing towards documentary. Oh, yeah. Because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike. So is that likely to benefit you and, and your project? Uh, both. Um, when, when something becomes oversaturated, it's definitely not good. I know that that's, there is that push for now documentaries and docuseries because of that. I don't even want to say loophole, but because they, they're allowed to function. I think the only thing that why I'm not as concerned is because I'm doing a Michael Jackson docuseries or a, a docuseries about Michael Jackson. That's one in a million. You know, that's not something that everyone else can do. Um, so it stands out on its own. Even if there's normally 20, but now there's 100 documentaries, there's still not, you know, a Michael Jackson docuseries like that. I think for a lot of fans, there's been a couple of developments that have happened recently which have created an added urgency around your project. So the, the first and most important, of course, is the news that we had about the Wade Robson, James Safechuck lawsuit, mm-hmm. where uh, the appeal court has reversed the decision of the original court. And as things currently stand, has said that their case can go to trial. Now, of course, it's open to the estate to go to the Supreme Court. I don't know if the estate has, uh, I say the estate, the, you know, the company is mm-hmm. essentially the same thing. But I don't know whether it has been announced, whether there is a decision yet about whether they're going to go to the Supreme Court. Do you know anything about that? Um, I don't. I think they are trying to, and it's whether the Supreme Court picks it up or not. They don't have to pick up the case in that way. So it's it's almost like a fingers crossed and hope that they pick the case up. I think there was very much an injustice, that ruling, definitely not fair and kind of a joke. And I think that could only happen in a, the liberal town of California, where it's more about perception than it is of doing what's right. Are you essentially, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're essentially saying that this is a, a sort of a legal virtue signaling by the judges that they've 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 taken it's this up. It's complete virtual. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's a word I was probably fishing for. It's it's exactly what it is because there's any judge that actually did the research and went through the prior um, cases, there's no way in their conscience mind judge or rule the way they did. 
there has to be a prejudice. There has to be a prior prejudice that allowed them to make that ruling. And, and so arrogantly and confidently. I, don't, I think uh, when I spoke to you a, a while ago, you said that you had not watched the oral arguments, but I did watch them. And um, it was two of the judges did not really make any attempt to disguise their contempt for, I don't know whether it was contempt for Michael Jackson or just contempt for his legal team, but they their behavior, in my opinion, as a, as an observer, bordered on the unprofessional. Of course, I thought yeah. They were pretty rude and um, made some rather, the, there was one guy in particular that made some pretty stupid comments, actually, to sort of beggar's belief that he's a judge. But of course, what this means is that there is now an increased likelihood that the case is going to go to trial. And I suppose there's two ways of looking at that as to whether it would be better for your series to come out before or after the trial. Because, of course, if it comes out before, then it, it may prime the audience so that they take what they hear at the trial with a pinch of salt. Alternatively, it could be that they see your thing and then the trial happens and that's the most recent thing they've seen and it changes their mind back again. So there would be two schools of thought about that. Has it given you an added urgency to get your project out or would would you be of the mind that actually it might be better to wait and see what happens at the trial? Um, this case or this trial thing has never really affected me either way. The first thing I always wanted to do uh, with the docuseries was deal with the extortion slash allegations of 93 uh, slash 94 and then the trial, Michael's trial. Um, that was the first, I guess, importance for me. Wade and James were kind of the byproduct of what was set up from those two things. Now, saying that, because I know that some people will say, oh, he's not even going to address this or that, I know there's a Leaving Neverland 2 coming out. I know Dan is making one, and I know probably he's going to follow this trial, and um, and it's going to be poor Wade and James going against this big system, and you know what are they going to do? Are they going to win? You know, is, is justice going to prevail? And you know, because that's all they have is being a victim a fake victim, but that's all they have. And of course, Dan just bullies anyone that, you know, that questions his authority and his righteousness. I don't want to get too personal, but I don't see how he can call himself a director. Um, he, he really did make such, with Leaving Neverland, such a piece of fiction that there's really no truth to any of that. And then when he was called on it, I've never, I've never understood how he got away with editing out lies from an original piece and the runtime gets smaller as he gets caught in these lies. And then the train station thing happens and then he tries to defend it one way and then he changes the word. It's, it's, it's really a joke, but at the same time, it's because of the virtual signature signaling and stuff like that and it was just a matter of, of the timing me too and time's up were at the heat of what it could be it was perfect timing for him i think um things are a little different now people have been falsely accused of of certain things so the audience is more aware of that false accusations do happen and happen more often to celebrities than people think they do 
because some of their favorite celebrities have been falsely accused. And by the way, I know, I know I'm going to be a subject of Leaving Neverland too. And he's going to, you know, because I have been someone that's been just adamant about Michael's uh, innocence and very vocal about it. So I know that's one of the things that he, he he's going to try and make me look really bad and, and wh- wh- whichever way he does or, wh- you know, because he doesn't even care really about the truth of, you know, and reporting the truth. But I do know that he's very aware of me in, in, in that way. And so I wouldn't be surprised if I'm part of Leaving Neverland too. And, and same with, he'll take some death threat fan posts unfortunately, you know, or whatever it is to make all the fans sound seem deranged and violent or, or loony. And, um, you know, it's just, he's going to play that angle. up. I think um, one thing that has concerned the fans also is that when those oral arguments happened, it turned out that I think that that was the, the latest indication that leaving Neverland two was still happening because things had gone quiet but it was reported in the press that Dan Reed had been filming the uh, the oral arguments. Mm. And um, obviously the, the fans are concerned that once you have that, they saw what happened in 2005, I suppose, which was not filmed, but you had a gallery full of journalists sitting there and somebody would walk into court and testify to all these terrible allegations which would then be published as a front page and the TV journalists would run outside and furiously report what's just happened. But then when Tom Mesereau destroyed their cre- uh, credibility on cross-examination, it got no air, co- air time. Air time whatsoever. I think people are concerned. If Dan Reed is in that trial with his camera, then he'll be able to do that in a very powerful way because whether, what, whatever you think about the veracity of leaving Neverland. It was clearly a very powerful piece of filmmaking that did cause shock rate shockwaves around the world. So I think there is a concern about what he is able to do with that footage if he goes and shoots it. Even if the trial is won by the estate, it will be possible to edit that footage in a way which is absolutely catastrophic for for Michael and for the defense. So have you given any thought to whether it would be useful for your project to be in the courtroom and filming yourself to have somebody there filming for you and your project? Uh, yes, I have. Without saying too much, that is a very big possibility. That won't delay my project, though, because my project will be coming up before that aspect or during that time period. If there needs to be a part two or something else, a follow-up, then that would probably be on the side of that aspect of it. The one thing I'm not going to do is just let Dan Reed run wild and with his lies in, in that. So I don't want the fans to think that I'm just going to let you know a complete stranger narrate my uncle's life in that. And so there will be an answer to Dan Reed uh, one way or the other in that. And I honestly think Leaving Neverland just it it was more of I don't know if you saw the movie Saw Saw was or Hostel or any of those movies and and I actually like those movies but they're very they're very shocking to people it's a horror genre that's very shocking and graphic and it's a visceral feeling that you get because it's so graphic and I think that 
in all honesty, that's kind of what Leaving Neverland had was just graphic nature and making you feel this visceral feeling that it didn't matter that if he said the word Michael Jackson or anyone else, you just felt sick to your stomach. And so I think those are the words he likes using words like big words like that and shocking people to the point where you kind of have your defenses down. Now, saying all of that, I think it's a different climate and a different attitude now in terms of social media is a lot different than it was back then. People are vocal now and people that see things with their own eyes are vocal now. Uh, The Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case is a prime example of that where the media still tried to spin it one way, but people's own eyes and mouths were like, no, you're not going to do that this time. We saw what we saw. And so I think things are just different. And and knowing my uncle's fan base and the the amount of people that we have there, we're not going to let that slide either. Dan Reed. Dan Reed had a surprise attack. I mean, that's really what it came down to. No one knew Leaving Neverland was coming out. If we would have known ahead of time, we probably could have dismantled it six months prior if we knew what it was about. We didn't even know that it was coming out. We had one month to prepare for the impact. And I think that was his, that was kind of one of the things too. It was perfect timing for him in, in every way. And that timing is not there anymore. We're very aware. He's already bombed us once. We know how he is now. And we know the the lies and we know the strategies that he does. And we also know when he gets rattled because he, and when he gets called on his lies and he folds pretty quickly in that way. As, as any journalist that confronts him, he doesn't have an answer to things. Because it's just about blindly believing. He doesn't actually have facts. Well, I think that you're right that there was definitely an element of uh, shock and awe and or kind of almost like hokum about it. You know, like the it reminded me of like um, some old-fashioned like Victorian freak show or something, the way that they would promote their events. The Charles, way that the, it, it was- the, the journalists saw it before the family saw it. The journal, when I went to the UK to go, and I'm not, I I have to be very careful with my words because I hate, you know, I hate the words defending my uncle or fighting for my uncle. When I went to go promote my uncle's innocence, because I do believe words matter or educate the uninformed, I should say, all the journalists that that I was interviewed with or that were on, they had seen it. And I thought that was so unfair that they had seen it prior to me seeing it. And it was almost like, it was strategically done that way. Almost like, okay, well, we're going to make sure everyone, you guys are going to get the head start on it and and drink the Kool-Aid. And then we're going to trickle it down to everyone else. And by that time, we, we'll have all our ammo. We'll have, we'll, we'll have a rock solid defense. I mean, we still poked holes in it and, and, and brought it down. But if you really think about it, it really wasn't fair. All those journals had seen it. The media had seen it. They even had the the um, the lady from Me Too. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I don't know. Tarana Buck. Yeah, and I'm so upset at her because I reached out to her privately and she never responded. But then finding out that she was there at Sundance, they gave her a special screening. It's like that kind of stuff really bothers me because you don't want to know the truth. You just you want to subscribe to your own 
you know, theories and what you're promoting and what you're pushing. And it doesn't matter if Michael Jackson or his family get or and fans get damaged in the long run. It's about you promoting what you want. Well, it was a cheap publicity stunt, I think. And that's the thing is that it was this, there was this very mixed messaging around it, which was on the one hand, we are very serious filmmakers and this is a very, very serious issue. But on the other hand, step right up, roll up, roll up. Mm. This film is so shocking that we've got a psychologist in the foyer. If you, if in case you faint, in case you collapse yeah, and you're yeah. unable, I mean, it will, you're what a little percent right. Because they're about to put it on TV all over the world, but they're going to send a psychologist to the home of every TV viewer to monitor their reactions. It was absolute nonsense. So, there was a, a, an element of the old vaudeville hokum going on there, this kind of ridiculous uh, marketing, mm-hmm. sort of like this is the film so shocking that you'll have to have a psych- psychiatrist on call. Mm-hmm. You know, ridiculous, really, and, and cheap, and actually undermined what they were claiming was a very serious matter, you know. Exactly, and, and, but, and it was hard. Yeah, but there's two... There's another side to it, though. So yeah. on the one hand, you did have that shock and awe element and they the surprise attack. And that will be different this time. But what won't be different is the other side of it, which is the media, which will just promote whatever he does and will not question it, will not investigate it, will not challenge it. They will just promote it. So how are you going to deal with that because it's very difficult to win the argument when the media machine is working against you. Well, times are different too in that way. You weren't allowed to question it back then. You know, you were you at that point you were victim shaming is, is the wording. I remember early on there were a lot of people that actually came to my uncle's defense and they were destroyed by the media and destroyed by the public in that way and it, it really discouraged the rest of them from defending my uncle. And I think things have changed in that way where they're not going to be people just sitting around letting someone bully someone or beat up on someone anymore. They're actually going to step in and intervene. And I think that's the difference in that. we, um, When Leaving Neverland came out, you didn't have the option of questioning it. I had the option of questioning it because I was a family member. But the regular person, it was like you almost risk cancellation if you, um, don't forget, like, Simpsons took off his episode. I mean, it was all reactionary before even uh, the truth came out of it. It was just all reactionary. And then the truth of it being a lie, it didn't matter at that point. They all had bought into the lie. But um, yeah, the media is going to be the media in general. But social media is very interesting in today's world because it does counterbalance and it goes faster than the media does. The Johnny Depp case was a very, I watched that as um, like a hawk in that way. And the media still tried to spin it every time something happened, but people were there to course correct it and say, nope, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And it really showed their biasness and they stopped doing it. But they really did have that machine behind it, trying to promote it one way or the other. And that, and I'm hoping as well that my docuseries will already have set that foundation of you know, uh, of the media lying and, and really taking advantage of my uncle. Are you concerned about the fact that Twitter has been effectively destroyed? Because Twitter, during the fir- when in 2019, when the first uh, installment of Leaving Neverland was released, was a very powerful tool 
for the fans and for other dissenting voices to get their message out, but it's been effectively taken over by the far right now, and it's, and the only people whose tweets get seen are crazy people that buy their blue ticks and so on. So, I mean, are you at all concerned that you have lost, or to, to an extent you have lost, that forum for challenging part two if and when it comes out? Um, not at all, because TikTok was very liberal, as well, and the liberal audience or the liberal machine slash Hollywood was the one that was probably our worst enemy, and they were the ones. I mean, if you really think about it, the Vanity Fair article that was passed around, and it was the blue ticks, the celebrities that helped pass that around. You know, the ten undeniable facts or whatever it was called, that came from Hollywood. That didn't come from you know just regular people. That came from Hollywood, and that was passed completely down and 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 so I'm actually welcoming I'm not saying it will be Twitter that is the main platform used now in terms of getting the truth out there I think TikTok YouTube there's a bunch of different ones now as well and there was a lot of conservative voices that defended Michael and spoke out against leaving Neverland so I'm not even going to say that that's a bad thing in that way. I'm just saying that, yeah, the, the landscape is completely different in terms of what Twitter was, what Twitter is now. But Twitter wasn't my friend back then at all. I I saw more celebrities drink the Kool-Aid or at least try and jump onto the trend train than anyone. And it really was disheartening. So if anything, Twitter discouraged me more than helped me. What helped me was probably YouTube more than anything. I went on more live streams on YouTube and and got the word out from that. So it wasn't Twitter at all in that way. I mean, yeah, my tweets were being seen by the fans. Maybe that was a great thing. The fan for the for the fans, you know, it helped kind of get us all together and realize our strength and see that what we were doing. But in terms of the machine, the machine was all on Twitter, and we were going up against the machine on Twitter and they had the upper hand and I'm happy they don't have the upper hand now. So um, I think you said a short while ago that your plan is for your series to be out before the trial. Well, I don't know when the trial is, I, but it is, I yeah. mean, that is the plan. To, yeah. Yeah. The plan yeah. is to, for it to be before, cause then it would be more, way more effective. So is your plan then to have any reference to leaving Neverland or Wade and James in the actual series itself. I guess I should just say that, you know, the series was never designed to be just one part, I should say. I was hoping to take on the Wade and Jameses in the second part of, if we want to call it a season, second season aspect of it, because it's an ongoing thing. Uh, I, but I never wanted it to be part of the first part because the, the first part was always about my uncle's life from beginning to end. Not in in that in a, in a, um, chronologically. I'm just saying it was about Michael's life. What happened during Michael's life? Then season two or part two or whatever, however you want to phrase it, was going to be the aftermath of Michael's death and and everything else aspect that would fall into season two. Now it comes that because of the timing, that season two will probably be perfectly aligned with the trial aspect. So there'll be a lot of the trial of Wade and James possibly in season two or, and then ending with the aftermath, not the aftermath, uh, um, what is, what happens from there? 
because it just seems like that timing wise is what's happening. But yes, that'll be more addressed in season two because it's going, it's an ongoing thing. And if I, if I try to put stuff in now, it's just going to be changed by the time that the trial happens anyway. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not consistent with their lies. There's four different versions for everything that they say. So how am I supposed to put a version in there? There's always, you know, they keep changing and they keep adding versions. I suppose playing devil's advocate, what a fan could say is, well, you're not guaranteed to get a season two. So if you save it for season two and then you don't get one, then it's never going to, you've missed the boat. So well, what would your answer be to that? I would say, well, then if I didn't get a season two, that there's still other platforms that I would that I could do it on. It's you know whichever platform I'm on, and if they didn't give a season two, I'd still do it. It just wouldn't be at that on that platform. And if I'm not guaranteed a season two, that means I didn't do season one correctly, and I shouldn't be the one doing it anyway at that point. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to it say it. It not necessarily mean that you did anything wrong, but there is obviously within the industry some reticence about Michael and about promoting Michael. So you could make a great series, but then really struggle to get somebody to air it. Exactly. Are you concerned about that? No, because at the same time, you know, the, the world loves Michael. And if, even if I have to go country to country and sell it a season two, I'll make sure people see it. It's the hardest way to do things, you know, going to country and country. But if you take the countries individually, every country loves Michael. It's the media that tries to destroy Michael and his image. You know, whether it's India or Brazil or or um, New Zealand, Australia, all those countries, I know I could sell a season two in a heartbeat in that country if I if I had the project in my hand one what channel about will season pick up. one though how how sure are you that season one will even get picked up by a mainstream outlet i think the 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 trick is if i can say that is it's michael jackson and yes michael jackson you know they can play the um oh you know it's controversial whatever but michael jackson is global Michael Jackson is bigger than the streamers are. There's places in the world that know Michael Jackson that don't know Netflix or Amazon in that way, but they know Michael Jackson. And so I'm saying that in terms of those streamers can benefit from Michael Jackson's popularity and um, the interest in that aspect of it. I mean, if Dan can sell Leaving Neverland to X amount of countries in, in that way, and that was honestly a piece of garbage it just had a shock value to it then the, i i'm not really concerned about being able to sell this and so what are you able to share about so i just want to touch upon because you know uh, real quick charles I, I i don't want to sound arrogant and i don't want to sound like oh he's so sure of himself and he doesn't know how hard it is out there i just know that for my whole life people have the media has always tried to downplay michael's popularity michael's worth i should say time and time again whether it's you know him breaking records his videos hitting billions of streams or the spotify numbers everything is going upwards not downwards and so i'm very aware that they might be disconnected with what the audience wants but i'm not disconnected 
Well, yes, certainly his streams went up after leaving Neverland instead of down. And post-pandemic, when the Broadway musical debuted, it's become the most popular, successful musical on Broadway since the pandemic. Won the Tony Awards, won four Tony Awards, has yeah. consistently broken its own record yeah. at the box office, is now touring America and moving to the UK. So, yes, there there is definitely <laughs> truth to that. But I think you told me a story the other day about the media, about mm-hmm. a particular journalist or something. What was that story about a journalist that was blocked? Yeah, there's there, there's a fan that reached out to me on Twitter and basically said that, that she was super excited because she was an editor and she wanted to do um, a positive piece on Michael, you know, during this whole crappy thing, leaving Neverland and whatever. And, and I was, you know, I'm always open to that, but I was kind of skeptical. I'm like, do you know the media right now? And, and no one wants to do anything positive about Michael. And she's like, no, 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 that we're different, blah, blah. And so, um, she basically ran it up the, the chain of command. And the words she got back was that they didn't want to do anything positive of Michael, only something negative. And she had to deliver me that news, and I'm like, and I already knew that, and I was like, you know, I'm like, don't worry, you didn't let me down. I, I kind of expected that, but that's been kind of the um, people are so shocked about that, but that's been the thing with the media is they want negative negativity of Michael, but at the same time, it's an industry, and the media or the Hollywood will do what Hollywood thinks it can make money with. And so if they know a lot of eyeballs will see this project and a lot of eyeballs want to see this project, they will still buy this project because that's how they operate. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the, on the MJ cast. It seems inconceivable that I haven't, but it's not very long. But on the, the day after Conrad Murray was convicted in 2011, I was sat at my desk at work and my mobile rang and it was BBC Radio 5 Live. And they said, we're doing a segment on the show about the doctor getting convicted. We're looking for somebody to come on and say, it doesn't matter that the doctor has been convicted because Michael's image has already been destroyed anyway by child abuse allegations. Is that something you think you'd be able to do for us, Charles? Wow. And I just, I could not believe it. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, number one, talk about victim blaming, right? That's unbelievable. But number two, it's the BBC. It is the oh, BBC that, doing yeah, that. The, you know what I mean? I could not believe it. That That is kind of similar. And, and that doesn't shock, unfortunately, that doesn't shock me and that should shock me. But I can tell you, you know, CNN during the trial was rooting for Michael's guilt. And I always had had CNN as one of the the biggest standards back then, you know, of like, I, I know globally they were probably even better, but even, you know, on at least, you know, I thought, oh, well, they tell the truth. And was I wrong? Once it became about a for-profit business, as opposed to telling stories uh, and getting the information out there, then it was all downhill from there. It was just, it the narrative was Michael was guilty and we're going to profit off of that because we're it's, it sweeps now and, and this is perfect for us. So sorry, were you just going to say something else? No, I was just trying not to get too upset, Charles. <laughs> it, it, it's so, it's so touchy for me just because it is my uncle and it is my family. And then I think of my grandma and I think about, you know, not only are they doing him, they're doing to his mother who's 
up in age and you know they have no concern for how evil spirited and mean it is to make up lies about something knowing that it's going to hurt someone and they're doing it to his kids and so it's just it's just hurtful in that way and one of the reasons i haven't been on social media or or taking my time because i've been to be honest worn out of it it's 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 like surviving a war and then coming back and like being depleted and you have to, you have to, I I just caught myself. I'm not saying I went to war and I don't know what that would honestly feel like. Um, I always have to clear up stuff before there's the people that attack me, but yeah, um, it felt like a symbolic war. Let's just say that. And I was left depleted because it was years of, of fighting as, as the fans were too left depleted. And it just, it took a lot for me to, to gain back, not sanity, but just, you know, just, just myself in that way. I'm just, I'm very happy because the timing wise, it's perfect. It feels like there's a round two coming up and I'm, I'm in the best shape ever <laughs> in that way for round two and, and more aware. And, and so I, if anything, I'm looking forward to always promoting my uncle's innocence and educating, you know, the ill-informed, uninformed, uh, the naive, you just mentioned the people that attack you, and that's something that I wanted to talk about while we've got you on the line. A couple of months ago, there was a big flare-up where uh, you ended up getting quite a lot of abuse on Twitter. Recently, the developments in the Wade and Jimmy case, and then the um, sort of the news about leaving Neverland 2 still being on the table has created a new urgency from the fans about your project, which is good. Uh, but of course, mm-hmm. there's been an element of that discussion, which has been negative and um, accusing you of not making the documentary and saying that you, you've effectively pinched the fans' money and that you're not doing anything. There's no signs of progress. Firstly, what, what is it like for you to receive those messages? How do you feel when you get them? Um, they're very, very, it's very hard for me. My first reaction is I don't want to give away my technique. It's, it's very hurtful. Um, I understand the frustration. So my first reaction is always to see who's posting it. If it's someone that's posting it and they really are legitimately a Michael fan slash, you know, someone that just wants to know what's going on with the docuseries and why haven't I said this or that, I get it. I understand the frustration, but if it's just a hater, they get blocked immediately because I don't need that in my timeline. I don't need that negativity. And then I started, I went on a blocking spree and then, then it went around that I was blocking people that were questioning the docuseries. I didn't block anyone that questioned the docuseries except for the ones that were mean about it or that were hateful about it. That's it. And that's because I don't need that on my timeline and I don't need that in my life. If you have a natural inquiry, that's perfectly fine, and because I would too. And so I think that was one of the hardest things because I am human, and, and especially if you're a fan of Michael Jackson, who's probably one of the most sensitive people in the world, and, and you're doing something insensitive and saying insensitive things to a family member, and let's take away the family member part, just a human being, it, it hurts. And if, if they want to know, does it hurt when you say bad things about me? Of course it does. Or mean things about me. I shouldn't say bad things about me. Mean things about me, of course it hurts. I'm human. 
in that way. And I see those things, even if I don't want to see it, people tag me on it or people will like, and, and it's the weirdest thing. You just see it. And Paris has had to deal with it recently in terms of you see that crap and it affects your day. It affects your week. It affects your month. I've tried not to let that affect me, but it does. For anyone that's thinking that I'm not doing this docu-series and that I would just, I would risk my reputation that I've built up for the last, whatever, decades off of um, a GoFundMe, then they don't obviously know me and they don't know the, um, the drive and the importance of who my uncle was and how much I not only loved him, but fought for him and would always fight for him. And so that's the only thing. There's no possible way. I don't care who said what of me not doing this docuseries. That, that was never the case of it. It was, this has to be done right. It has to be done to the right quality. Something that my uncle would expect as opposed, because this is Michael Jackson we're talking about. And to be honest, I know there's other documentaries or docuseries um, coming out, but they have the luxury of they're not under the watchful eye of the media or the, you know, or the general public like I am in that way. So they can move more freely. They can put things out there that people, only the fans get to see. If I put something out there, it's not only the fans get to see, the media gets to see it. And do I really want the media to have ammo on certain things? Of course not. So it's, it, it is that push and pull of like, what do I give the fans? But at the same time, what do I not try and um, make the media aware of where they can use that against me or or um, try and get one step ahead of me? Because let's face it, there's people in this industry right now that don't want my docuseries to happen and don't want the biopic to happen. And they've made that very clear. And so I have to be careful in what, how I do this and how I make this. I don't have the luxury of what others do. Are you able to be any more specific about people in the industry who've made it clear that they don't want this to happen? Not without putting a target on my back, but you could, you could, I think the fans can naturally guess who one of them would be. I mean, she, and I'll just say she, and then people could probably make the reference from there. And that, that's sad that I could say she, and people kind of would know who that is. But um, she's invested in this. And she was invested in the lie in that way. And, and I think that's unfortunate that I'm still expecting an, an apology. But I won't get it because of pride and because of, you know, or at least apologize to my grandma. But that's not going to happen. And so for me... I yeah I um I'm making this for my uncle I'm making this for future generations making this for my kids who every time I have a kid and I'm not I'm stopping by the way <laughs> but every time I have a kid it's a complete reminder of how important this docu series is Taylor was 2 months old when Leaving Neverland came out and I went to to the UK to expose it and it was you know did I miss out on certain things that Taylor was doing as my first baby and all that probably but at the same time i'm looking at the future of like how important it will be for taylor to live to grow up in a world where michael jackson is not questioned anymore that's my that's my end goal my daughters are amazing because every day when i'm taking them to school i know it's the weekend right now but every day that i take them to school the first thing they say i want to hear uncle michael and we play michael jackson songs 
Um, that's the first thing they've said for the last four months. And before that, it was, I want you back. And before that, it was black or white. And it's like, there's so many things. It's it's a constant reminder of how important Michael Jackson is to the future generations as well in that. And so when someone says, oh, he's, you know, he just took the fans' money, he's not doing anything, you know, I don't want to say the word smile, but I'm like, you wait and see. And I hope you're there to um, not being vindictive, but for as loud as you barked, I hope you, you know, you, you also help promote it. You just mentioned this um, unnamed female person in the industry who has made it clear that they don't want the biopic to happen. So are you able to say anything about what that person has actually done to try to interfere in the biopic? I am not, but I just, I know she's connected to the industry in every which way. So it's, it's very, it's, it's very hard. I mean, she's connected to the Michael universe in that way. There's people in the Michael universe that have, whether written songs, sung with him, produced him that are close to her. So it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it's intertwined. So you can imagine the landmines that you have to walk over to to do this project and the strategy that you have to do to do this project because you know some people love her some people don't love her but a lot of people love her still but do you, but do you know that she has done stuff to interfere in the biopic but you can't say what it is or do you just suspect that she's done stuff to interfere in the biopic let's go with number two just to be safe <laughs> Uh, I want to say number one, the first one, but just to be safe, let's go with number two. Look, there's. Uh, let's just say this. When Leaving Neverland came out, I know directly that certain people, her included, uh, stopped me and Brandy from being on shows. So I've seen it directly happen. So you were booked onto a show... And then you were canceled, and then you found out that you we were, were canceled, canceled last a, minute. And then, yeah, and you was, found out. I found out from two different sources that didn't know each other that it's, one person was behind it. Okay. Yeah, I just have to be careful. I, I mean, I don't I want to be honest with the fans and and the public. So trust me. But I also know Hollywood. Let's just say that, and I know how. I don't even want to say the word vindictive. Uh, dangerous Hollywood could be at times. So I'm just, I'm treading lightly or treading carefully, I should say, because I don't want to target on my back. So let me just ask you a few questions about documentary making generally. If you take a series which is similar to the one that you are making about Michael, for example, take the Michael Jordan series. What is the approximate budget on a series, a documentary series of that nature? Um, I don't want to say my budget, but the no, Michael no, Jordan your budget. Uh, oh, okay. The Michael Jordan budget was two million an episode. It was twenty million dollars budget. So basically, it was ten episodes. It was twenty million dollar budget. Okay, and your GoFundMe has raised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, correct? Or or something something in that region. So I I know where you're going. I yeah, know where you're so going you, with it. Yeah, yeah. I and I appreciate so what, that, Charles. Yeah. What what I'm getting at is. You've got all these fans on Twitter who are ranting and raving. I gave you $10 four years ago. Where's my documentary? Right. But I think that they don't understand the enormity of the project that you are undertaking. 
and that what you have raised, while you're grateful for it, for the fan support, it is a fraction of what you need. And I think there's just a lack of understanding about the, the, the scale of the project that you're undertaking. So can you talk, without going into the specifics of your budget, can you just give the fans an understanding of the sheer amount of things that have to be paid for and done when you are working on a project of this scale? Well, part of it is my fault because I'm a Jackson and that's just, I was raised that you, unless you're doing something different and raising that bar, then why do it? And I take this opportunity. I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. And, you know, we're not only the Michael Jackson estate is aware of the, the project, but my family is aware of it and, and supportive and, and the fans are supportive and aware of it. It's just, for me, it's the trifecta aspect of it in that way. So I don't take that lightly, but it's Michael Jackson. And the same way that the biopic is being handled, that it's Michael Jackson, it's not being done cheaply. It's being done to the best that it could be done. That's how I look at this docuseries. And, and I only do that because that's how my uncle looked at music videos. He didn't take the cheap route on music videos because he wanted to do something that was meaningful that we can look at you know 40 years later as in thriller you know we're looking at thriller as the work of art that it is and that's because it had quality to it it had it had something that no one else had seen before and so i'm not going to like say oh this docu series is going to be the be all end all of everything and it's 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 going to be so amazing that it's going to be the blueprint i'm not saying that at all but i'm going going to strive for that i'm going to strive for my uncle's excellence in there to the point where people feel like this is a Michael Jackson product and be proud of it and the fans be proud of it and all those fans that donated be proud of it, that they helped contribute to this. And I want to win awards as well. I mean, my uncle would say, you better be doing this to win something as as well. Like He wouldn't just want me to just clear his name or cement his legacy. He'd want me to win something for this. And so that's how I, I have all those things in my head spinning around that if I really thought about this, I probably would freeze up and not want even to take the first step. But at the same time, it's like I was born for this. There's no other person that had certain experiences with my uncle that than I did in certain things and lived with him during the trial, was there during the first allegations. It's like I was around for 90% of that aspect of it. And so I have a viewpoint that is very unique, you know, uh, minus my brothers who were there as well, but they weren't there for the trial. So that's where I differentiate. I just, it's, it's such an undertaking, but it's such an honor, Charles. And I'm saying that. So all this backlash of like, you know, why isn't it out? We, you know, you, you raise it. First of all, on the GoFundMe, the, the amount was 777. And that was for the first episode. That was to shoot a pilot to sell the season of that. Not, so I'm just saying that not as being ungrateful. I'm saying that let's keep our expectations real that for a fraction of that, you expect X amount of episodes. And so, look, I get I get the frustration, I get that, and I get that most people don't know me, 
And I've sat there with people. I even did it in Vegas, sat there for an hour with someone that had questions about the the docuseries of, of just wanted to know, like, how's it going? And, you know, and I told them, you know, it was very honest and upfront with them with everything because I want to be, but I don't want to blast it out on social media because that attracts all the negativity too. And all the people that don't want this to succeed. I wish there was like a room that I could press that was just the good people <laughs> and the positive people. And the, there's no, th- there's no, nothing on GoFundMe as well that I can just talk to directly just to the donors. It's open, like people, other people can see it. And I just, with Leaving Neverland 2 coming out and the trial coming out and all that stuff, I just have to be more careful with my blabbing, which is why I catch myself every once in a while on this podcast. I know that you specifically don't like to talk about the content and the um, editorial direction of the show. So I'm steering clear of that, but I'm just trying to give listeners a a sense. Well, first of of all, sorry, because this is very important. And and I know I just talked all over you, so I apologize, Charles. But I I just want to say this very, this is very important. The most important thing for me was creative control and final cut. If I didn't have those two things, I probably could have done this docuseries yesterday and, or whatever. I could have done this way earlier, but Final cut and creative control were the most important things to me because I have to be able to sit there with my grandma and watch this and be proud of it and know she's proud of it or think about my uncle sitting next to me and be proud of it in that way. And the only way I could do that is knowing that I have the final edit or final control of what gets out there. And so that is not easy to do. That's unheard of to do. And it's why it took so long you know, in, in general, because it's something that is the people like Spielberg and and people like that get not people like me. And so it was finding people that believe in this project and want this project to happen and are willing to give up those rights. That, that is the reason why it also was the harder journey. And I could have caved and I could have just been like, Hey, I just want to get it out there. Let's just go to a streamer and here's my idea. And you guys take it from here and I'll just direct it. But that wasn't what I was going to do. And because we all know what they would have done with the project. And so that is why I've been such a strickler because I want the, I guess the saying is I want the buck to stop with me. So people can directly blame me if, if I did something wrong afterwards, or they can praise me either way, but it stops with me. Like I'm in control of the telling of my uncle's legacy for this docuseries. And obviously for the biopic, that's, you know, Prince and Graham and all that stuff. But at least for this docuseries and my journey with my uncle and through my eyes, I'm in control of it. I, no other media or person is going to tell me what, you know, put this in or we need more of this or that. So um, effectively, you needed external funding. And the stumbling block was that when you were going looking for external funding, you had a red line and your red line was, I must have final cut. And it's difficult to find people that will agree to that. It's difficult to find people that'll agree to that without trying to go to Hollywood first and pre-sell it, which at that point is you basically are giving up your final. It's like, it's a catch 22. Like uh, if I went to the streamers first 
and tried to sell this, there's no way I would get Final Cut. They'd probably even hire a co-director on this project. So I knew, yes, I had to go external funding and I couldn't get it from the regular places that people mostly get it in Hollywood because there's people connected to those places. And I wanted to stay clear of that and steer clear of, I didn't want people connected to certain people part of this project. And if that makes sense. Yeah, it was the long, hard route. But at the end of the day, it was it's it's been the biggest blessing in disguise because timing wise, it's been incredible. And at the same time, I know I can make the project that I really, really wanted to make. And I mean, it's been what, four years kind of? Since leaving Neverland, I think it's been four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half years. And and I can tell you it's not been an easy journey, especially for people, Charles, you've been part of it that have been there from the beginning of this whole journey aspect of it. It it really you have to stick to your guns and really that red line was that red line. I didn't care if people called me crazy or what are you doing? You're walking away from something. That red line meant the the difference between telling the story of my uncle in the way that I know is truthful and that he deserves to be told versus letting Hollywood tell his story. I think it's interesting what you're saying because the narrative that you get from Dan Reed when he is interviewed, he talks constantly about the the powerful Jackson machine how the jack how he and the uh the two accusers have come up against the the jackson machine which controls the media and controls the narrative and yet here you are saying i am a jackson i'm trying to make something pro jackson and i cannot go to hollywood because it will not happen hollywood will not let me make something pro jackson so that in itself is interesting no, and I was like, and you can see who's telling the truth because at the, you know I don't know where this Jackson machine that he says you know this big machine because everything that came out in terms of with leaving Neverland all the lies and stuff all of us had to fight for it to come out all of us had to spread it we didn't have a big machine helping us to come out the train station lie still hasn't been reported by the mainstream media in the U.S. I don't know what big machine he's talking about. If anything, he definitely has the big machine that's spreading the lies. And he knows he does. He's just, that's just part of their MO. Do you feel able to say that you're in a position where you are funded and you do have final cut without giving away any, uh, just yes or no, are you in a, are you in a position to say whether that's the case yet? I'm in a position to say, I got to be careful how I say things because I don't like jinxing stuff too. I'm in a position to say that um, I, 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 I'm so angry that I missed the 2023 cutoff because I did promise that and I do understand that. But in my defense, when I did find out the Thriller doc was going to be released around that time period, I, it did make me not as urgent to say the least because I knew I didn't want to be, I didn't want two documentaries of Michael Jackson competing with each other in that sense, um, especially one of them being from the estate that wasn't going to help my my um, journey out. But the hardest thing has been, what do I tell the fans versus what do I tell the public? Because it's one and the same. If it was just the fans and I was at an event and there's no cameras, no, no phones and whatever, I could speak way more freely about everything. But I'm really telling the public as well. And in that 
scenario. I like being under the radar. I like people thinking, the public thinking or the media thinking that this is never going to happen because it keeps me off their radar. As I said, leaving Neverland, one of the biggest things that they had was a surprise attack. We had no way of of knowing. We had to even search to find out what was it about. And I remember getting the information, oh, Wade is in it? Okay, who's this? Oh, there's a second guy in it? Who's the second guy? It's like we got information as it went along. But if we would have had that information prior, we probably could have dismantled it so much easier. We would have found all those lies out way ahead of time. So I do... As someone that loves yapping about kind of like um, the excitement of what is going on, at the same time, I'm trying to be strategic too. And there are people that I've told and that that have been on social media, and, and I thank them for defending me because I've told them not to say anything, but they kind of have an insight to things and that they're on there being like, don't worry, Taj knows what he's doing and all that stuff. Um, but I want to say, in all honesty, I get people's frustration in that way. So I don't blame people for questioning. I don't blame, I've never blocked someone that's just questioned, like, you know, is this ever going to come out or it's just how you say it is when I've blocked people. If they're really mean and, 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 or sarcastically mean, then I'm like, I don't need that. You know, if they're really just asking, then it's like, I might private message them on Twitter and, and, and try and talk to them. But that's just really the truth of what it's been about. It's a strategy. I mean, look, no one knows what the biopic is about. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing it on, that on purpose. Like, So it's like, imagine if the biopic did updates every week or whatever. Like, people would, the media would pick it apart uh, by the time it came out. But I would get, it be fast? and I was just going to say, but I get that people donated. So they do have the right to know. That's the difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult line to walk because you don't want to give away too much. And yet there is really a need for transparency because you have yeah. raised this money from the fans. So would it be fair to say you have in the past been offered the funding and then the funding has not materialized? I've been offered the funding. It's fair to say that. I've been offered the funding twice and it hasn't materialized one time. There was a serious conflict of interest that we found out at, I guess, what is it called? The last hour or whatever it's called, mm -hmm. the final hour. Um, I had egg on my face for that because it was something that I was so excited. And the other one without, I'm not going to say too much about it, just they never materialized with the money. Okay. So you effect effectively signed a deal or something, but then the money just never came. The second one was about to be signed, and we found out pretty much that there is a huge conflict of interest. That was a red flag. Uh, it, and when I say about to be signed, it was because someone was delaying it being signed. And then we found out that that person that was delaying it being signed was a huge conflict of interest. And it became one of those things that I was wondering, were they put there just to delay the project or not? So the other one, where you said the money never came, so from your understanding, was there an agreement in place that that money would be provided and then it just never came? There was an agreement provided that the money would come when they got the money. And I don't want to put them on blast, but when they got the money, they this is the first thing that they would invest in. And they're still, here we are, almost a year later, and they're still waiting on that money. 
Okay, so it was about a year ago that you did a live stream and you said you were fully funded. So was that what you were referring to? Uh, I don't want to say too much, but that could be what I was referring to. I mean, look, I cried on that live stream. I was so happy that all this crap that I had gone through for the last two years was over because it's been not only stressful, it's really finding that unicorn, the, the person that will invest in a project that believes that the quality should be up to the standard that it should be when there's a lot of other projects that are doing it a lot cheaper, but you're like, hey, but this is Michael Jackson. Now I know what my uncle went through with albums. Like, hey, you know, I'm I'm at a, I'm trying to do this quality wise, but it's like, but you can make an album for this amount. That was kind of been the hardest thing is getting people to be like, oh, well, this is what this costs. But I'm like, oh, but with Michael Jordan, it's this, and with other people, it's this, and and Michael's that caliber. This is how we should be looking at. And so um, that was always the hardest thing was the selling of that, but then also the weeding out of who legitimately was interested, who were the looky-loos, and who just wanted to get close to the family is always the hardest thing too. And and who was kind of connected to certain people that was like a red flag as well. It gets hard because your your options become very, very small after a certain period of time because everyone's connected in this industry. And look, the person that originally was supposed to do the investment and stuff like that, I'm still in good terms with them, believe it or not. And, and not in a bad way, I'm just saying. So they might be able to fund other stuff that, that maybe season two or whatever. I don't know, but I'm just saying I'm not counting that out either. It's just, it was, they didn't come through for this first round. So I just want to, uh, because people, when they hear these numbers, 20 million, for example, for the Michael Jordan documentary, it's all a bit abstract, but having been on a shooting day with you a couple of years ago, I got an insight into a world that I had never previously been in and the costs that are involved in a day's shooting. So for a day's shooting for a project of this type, you would need on set, in addition to yourself, a cinematographer, a lighting person, and a sound person, and potentially also a runner as some sort of uh, assistant, possibly hair and makeup. So would it be fair to say the cost of a day's shooting is literally thousands of dollars a day that it costs to shoot if yeah, you're paying uh, everybody that's, that's working on the on that day? If you're not a one-man band or one-person band, I should say, yes, 100%. For a legitimate oh, – th that's the wrong word. Uh, when I say legitimate, I mean in terms of like the standard of what is done because um, – Yes, that's there would be hair and makeup. There would be um, a cinematographer. There'd be a lighting person. There would be all. Um, there would be a bunch of other people that you didn't include in that way. And that was kind of the way I fought and wanted to make it. I said, if I have to do everything myself, I can do it because I've done it before. But that's not what my uncle deserves. He doesn't deserve me running around with a camera, setting up the lights, setting up the thing. I don't want to go that route. I can do it because I do that on our music videos. I said, but I, he deserves more than that. He deserves his own sound person. You know, how would Michael do it? This is how he would do it in that way. And also, you got to remember, um, without 
tipping my hand, there's a lot of licensing fees. And when you say the word Michael Jackson and you need licensing or to license material, you're not talking about Michael Johnson or someone that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's going to cost this amount to just license this footage. It's Michael Jackson. So it's automatically five to 10 times more expensive in itself, just to license stuff. And I know, understand the fair use and all that stuff in, in general, but as your project gets bigger, the fair use thing kind of gets smaller too, because they expect you to pay. Marcos, I'm sure Marcos Cabosa was on this show when he said that fair use is a myth, essentially, yeah. if you're running a big, expensive production and they know you can exist. afford it. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, Marcos is an incredible guy. I got to know him probably about a month ago. I saw him when he was in town and stuff like that, just to share stories and, and kind of get his advice and, and stuff like that in general, just because I've always, I always love hearing from other people that have shot something and just a really good guy. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are myths that people, because people can do that on YouTube and get away with it. But also you have to remember just the same way. It's like those people aren't under the radar of other people in that way. So they get away with a lot more, just the same way some, someone might put something up that they shouldn't put up on YouTube. If they're a small enough channel or if they're a channel that's more abstract, people might not realize that. But if it's a big company putting that up, they'll get flagged right away and they'll get, you know, whether taken down or someone will come for a lawsuit for them in terms of that. So it is, there is a difference in, in, in um, the playing field and I'm playing with the big boys. And I'm so, I'm trying to be politically correct, Charles, as well. <laughs> I use words like playing with the big boys, and then I hear it, and I'm like, does that sound bad? It's the same. Wait, you mean, like, does it sound like you're denigrating other projects that are being worked on? No, I'm just so cautious of sexism. Oh, right, I see. Yeah. Oh, no, and, and, I'm pretty sure you're fine. Okay, okay. I just, and, and I apologize to the, to the fans and the public, because I am so cautious of that, but so many of the old terms of of what we use in this industry is, you know, guys, boys, you know, playing with the big boys, you know, um, and, and all that stuff. So I try not to be ridiculous, but at the same time, I still try to be cautious, if that makes sense. In terms of licensing as well, I mean, a lot of people will have heard you say you'll be working to some extent with the estate and when they hear you say the word licensing they will be automatically thinking of things like music and music videos and concert footage and stuff but of course if you're tackling something like the 1993 allegations almost nothing that you need is going to be owned by the estate yeah. That is all material, which is going to have to be licensed from other broadcasters, from newspapers, etc., from Getty Images, from wherever it is that you're going to have to go to get that material. This is all stuff that you are going to have to pay for. Same with the trial. I, I mean, what does the, the trials, estate yeah. own for the trial? Yeah. That's the trial, same thing. Yeah. So there is going to be a huge amount of licensing which the estate has no control over. They can't just gift you this material because they don't own it. They don't control it. So there are going to be gigantic licensing costs associated with this project. Yeah, the licensing, I mean, you got to pay someone to find those things. You got to also pay uh, someone to to make the contracts for the licensing and all that stuff. So it does add up. But at the same time, one of the things that I really am adamant about is 
let me say this. The first thing I'm doing, I'm making this for my uncle first. That's priority number one. I'm not saying priority number two, the, the fans that you're not important or whatever, but priority number two is is the public because they're the ones that are the uninformed or ill-informed. I'm making it for the public to get the truth. And then number three is the fans. Now saying that, I'm always conscious of the fans in that way and what is it in it for them. And so that is where the extra love comes in, giving the fans stuff that they've never seen before, or um, they've seen this footage a hundred times, but have they ever seen this part of it? And that kind of stuff is the little things that the public would even know the difference, but the fans would know. Those are the little things without saying too much that I want to do for them because I'm a fan. And there's been certain things that I've seen, heard, that I didn't even know existed. And I got excited about. Like what? I can't tell you, Charles. That's a, I stopped there on purpose. <laughs> um, but but I, I appreciate you asking. Um, no, but that that's the whole thing. Like, if I'm getting excited about certain things, it's like, I know, that because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this man, the, the, his legacy. And when I see stuff that I haven't seen before, I get really excited because it's almost like a Christmas present, opening up a Christmas present. Okay. So firstly, when do you, you now say that the, you hope to get it out before the trial, but we don't know when the trial is. I don't know when the trial is. That's why I'm not saying anything. Yeah. yeah. You definitely want it out before the biopic, which yes. if it's not delayed, was supposed to be out in the third or fourth quarter of 2024, but it seems almost certain that it will be delayed. Mm -hmm. I don't want to press you into putting another deadline on it because I, I know that I hate when I'm working on something, I never make public when I hope to have it finished by because it's almost like a jinx. It's like a yeah. jinx. Yeah. So, and you know, you feel bad. It makes you feel bad. But I mean, how, how rosy are things looking in terms of getting it done now? How confident are you that this is going to be moving in the right direction at pace in the foreseeable future? Um, well, I, I don't know what number you want, but it's it's over 100% of, of confidence. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 I was debating whether 120, 110. Like, well, I don't know. Um, but in terms of it was more important for me to do it right than to do it at all, if that makes sense. Because I have a standard and I also am doing it for my uncle. That's my gift that I can give him for the gazillions of gifts that he gave me. So the one gift I can give him that I can leave behind for him and feel like it might balance what he did for me. And so you best believe I'm going to make it the biggest and best gift I can make it for him. And I hate that it's called a docu-series because it's implied. I wish there's a better word for it because really what it is, it's like almost like a testimonial slash revisiting of all these events, like a retracing aspect of it. But what I hate about the docu-series part of it is it's almost like, well, you know, what about the other side? Are they going to get a voice? And I'm like, no, this is about the people that knew him best. And it's their voice. This is our story to tell. This is, you know, we're telling the story of Michael in that way. And I wish there was another word for that besides docu-series. 
but really it's the people that knew him best and it's, it's firsthand accounts and it's the people that were there for the allegations or the extortions or there for the court trial aspect of it. I'm talking directly to the people that were involved as opposed to um, someone that's guessing and looking from the outside in and going, oh, I wonder what this was like. Oh, it was this. And I'm talking to the people that were there, firsthand accounts and stuff like that. So for me, the docuseries really doesn't do it justice. But And I hate to say it because it sounds biased, but I am biased. I'm a family member. And I lived with Michael Jackson and had majority of my life with this man in terms of um, with him around. So I know who he was and I want to make sure that comes across. And so I don't need a stranger to tell me differently or try and tell me differently, if that makes sense. Just uh, before we wrap up, you mentioned earlier that there will be some degree of collaboration with um, the estate. You know, uh, over the years, quite famously relations between the estate and the family have not always been great so how would you characterize your relationship with the estate and their attitude towards your project very unique and fortunate i feel very lucky in a way not because um you know that they're aware of it and 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 that i'm able to do it i'm i feel lucky because i was in this situation to do this obviously as you saw with Leaving Neverland, you don't really need anyone's permission to do anything these days. But I, you know, I didn't want to come across a roadblock either. So there were, I, I know um, Prince and Michael's kids. It was important for me to get their blessing. It was important for me to get my grandma's blessing. Once I had those people, that's when I announced, you know, that I was doing it because if they didn't want me to do it, I wouldn't have done it. And then the estate, I've been lucky because they've been very, what's the word? Um, supportive. I would say that's the word that I, I would use with this project. And that's why I said I'm lucky because I know that's not the case with everyone else. But I also think they understand the importance of this project too. And they understand that the fans want this project. And I think that's why I thank you guys all the time because you demanding this project is what has elevated this project that's made me able to do this project as well. How is uh, your grandma? Because she was photographed a couple of times recently and she's looking, in my opinion, better than she has done for years, actually. That woman, I swear, like I'm, I, I honestly, I'm so lucky and I feel so blessed. I saw her at Janet's concert, obviously when Janet was here in LA uh, or not LA Irvine ish area, but, I mean, not to get too sentimental, but she's everything to me in that way. I mean, she she's not only my role model, she was my mom's role model, my uncle's role model, my dad's role model. Everyone that I cared about, she was their role model. So you can imagine that aspect of it. I just talked to her probably a week ago and and didn't realize that she had never seen Tylee yet. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to send the picture and I felt like such a bad grandchild because I was like, um, I could have, I had to go back and look and I'm like, I didn't send her a picture. And I'm like, I felt so guilty because when Taylor was born, she was one of the first people to see it, see Taylor. And then Toria, we brought her over, but it's just, you get so caught up with, well, maybe also because Tyler was born early. Maybe that's my excuse, but yeah, I felt like such a bad grandchild, but 
she's amazing. And, and as I say, I fight because of her too. I want, you know, it, the urgency of this project and, and the reason the, there is an urgency is yes, I want this out before the biopic, but B, I'm doing this because I want this out and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say the, it out loud, but I want, you know, I want my grandma, I want to watch this with my grandma or at least her see it and tell me that she's proud of me. That would be, that's bigger than any award. Now, you actually reached out a couple of weeks ago and proactively wanted to come onto the MJ cast to have this discussion. So why was it that you wanted to come on? And do you feel that you have said everything that you wanted to say? Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to come on because I knew that Michael's birthday was coming up. And I wanted to kind of, I didn't really do a lot of the events. So I didn't have really much to, to say about that, unfortunately. Uh, but that was one of the reasons I wanted to come on. But at the same time, I do, I really do understand a lot of the fans' frustration in, in that way with the GoFundMe and stuff like that. I hope they understand what this entailed, what this meant in terms of how hard this was to pull this off. Also, I did notice as well, which is one of the reasons that I stopped as well, was just a lot of the barking came from people that didn't even donate. And that, that frustrated me tremendously. I will sit there, and I've said this before, I will sit there and talk to someone that's donated uh, for 30 minutes. I'll talk to them in, in general or try and reach out to them to let them understand what's going on. But for someone that didn't donate, that's just ca creating chaos and and problems, you know, those people get blocked right away. But I just, I hope that with all the um, lack of trust now that I've probably garnered from some fans that once they see it and once they they know uh, that the caliber and what I was going for, they'll forget this these hiccups. And why did you um, choose the MJ cast? Oh, you know why I chose the MJ cast, Charles. The MJ cast for me, and well, first of all, I'm not doing any more live streams because I feel that that's an invitation for Dan Reeves just to take whatever I say on that live stream with video and just put it on Leaving Neverland 2 you know, without my permission, just, uh, I didn't want that, uh, as it is, I'm not taking down any of the live streams because I don't want fans to think that I'm abandoning the project. Cause that'll be the narrative too. Oh, he's going against what he said because he took down stuff. So I'm leaving it up there as well. But at the same time, I just, I don't want to give any more ammo to Dan Reed. He thinks he's ethical, but he's so unethical of how that thing was done that I don't, I'm scared to see what he makes me out to be. And, and luckily I'll have a lot of people come to my defense in that way that will make him look silly, but I'm just, I'm scared to be in that target. I mean, if he threw Brett Barnes under the bus for no reason whatsoever, just to pad his numbers per se, you can imagine what he can, you know, will trying to do to me. He was really a large thorn as the fans were too, which you guys should expect something from him too the fan community. Oh, wait, sorry. To answer your question, the MJ, I love going on the MJ cast. Uh, it's always been kind of my one-stop shop, you know, of, of saying things, always advise other people to, to hear it, to talk. And so, yeah, I just, I just love the MJ cast and, and, and that way. And that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you. I was like, you know, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do it here first. 
Well, that's from, that's much appreciated, and it's been great to have you back on and to chat about things, especially because I get bombarded also with questions. <laughs> I know you do all the time, yeah. and am legally prevented. I would reiterate, yes, you're legally, yeah, I you're am legally, legally yeah. prevented from answering any questions. That's probably a good. Uh, thing for you then i'm not legally bound so so when i get asked questions i have to um i have to just tell people you know what it is and i don't mind doing that yes i mean it is a useful stock response to just copy and paste a sentence that says i have signed an nda and can't answer anything but it is nonetheless quite annoying bombarded and and look and 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 this is what i said i understand people's frustration and i i love the aspect of that people are interested and want this to come out and are, are fighting for this to come out because it is needed. It is tremendously needed, but it's got to be done right. I always look at my uncle with his albums. Like he, he delayed a lot of his albums because it had to be right. And people forget when albums are delayed or movies are delayed, but they have to be done right. And, and so that's how I look at things in, in general is people will forget the, the tardiness of this project because if it's done right, they'll, they'll understand why. I did mean to ask you about that earlier. I was going to ask you, it popped up as you were talking. I thought, uh, yeah, has, did Michael ever deliver a project on time? No, and he had Can no concerns about it. Like, <laughs> uh, honestly, he yeah. I, we would be there hanging out with him, and he's like, he's like, no, it's got to be right, Applehead. And it, it wasn't even like he he would get these calls like, Michael, you're X amount of you know months later. Now you're a year late, and, and it didn't matter to him because he knew he was making something that at the end of the day would stand the test of time. And so it wasn't about rushing it; it was about making it right. And that, and he was right. Because you you don't know, like, I don't know how late history was, or I know the, the earlier ones, the solo ones, they held his feet closer to the fire. But once Thriller hit and he had proven himself, he had also a bigger bar to reach. And so it had to be done right. I always respected him for that and, and appreciated that because that's what it takes. Quality takes that. And, and I'm not going to make a project that, my family is embarrassed of, or I'm embarrassed of, and I'm going to make a project that is a project that other people can point to and go, wow, did you see that project? Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a positive note to, uh, to end on. So thank you for joining us. No, thank uh, you. I just want to make sure we get in socials. As you know, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for making sure we get all the socials in. <laughs> So where can people find you on social media? Oh, for me, um, I think it's, is it Taj Jackson 3? On Twitter, I think it's Taj Jackson, or X, whatever it's called now. It's Taj Jackson 3. And then on Instagram, I think it's just Taj Jackson. And if it's Thread, it's just Taj Jackson 2, I think. Or not 2, the number 2. Just Taj Jackson as well, because it's um, it's same as Instagram. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm just checking now. I know I'm 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 not as good as the socials as, as I should be, and I don't even know what my TikTok is. I think it's Taj Jackson, but I've only posted one time there. So, and it wasn't a dance, Charles. It was it was the baby talk thing. <laughs> the what's baby talk? That was basically it was a tape that Michael um, that I found of my uncle 
tape recorded me and him. He's two oh. years. I'm two years old, and he's basically baby talk. Yeah, baby talk. I thought you said baby talk, like TikTok baby talk. Oh, baby talk, like, like a new channel. That? Hey, that's a cool thing too. Uh, real quick, Charles. Um, I know you're going to do your socials uh, for the MJ cast, which is very important as well. But very, very. Important. I just I wanted to thank all the fans uh, because I hear more people supporting me and take your time, make sure it's right. It's for Michael. Then I do the negativity. It's just negativity sticks to me easier. And you know, you can, you can have a hundred positive things on one negative and you'll remember the negative, but I do appreciate the fans that have been so supportive. And, and I bumped into a lot of those ones in, in Vegas that were like, yeah, you know, we're super excited. Make sure it's right. Don't, you know, don't, don't rush it and all that stuff. And I'm like, so I hear that as well. And I appreciate that because honestly it's Michael Jacks. It's for my uncle. I've talked a big game and I'm going to make sure I back it up. So I'm reliably informed. The MJ cast is on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, threads, and YouTube Drumroll as the MJ cast. So if you want to engage with the MJ cast on any of those channels, that's where you need to be looking for the MJ cast. Nice. Common sense, really, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, Taj, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you again for our traditional Taj Jackson Christmas episode. Yeah, by that time I can spill some more beans. Okay, right. Well, that's a verbal contract now. So um, <laughs> that's we'll hold you to that. Great. Thank you very much. Hope you have a good rest of your Saturday. Are you doing anything? Probably, as I said, I'll probably watch some documentaries and stuff like that, study on some stuff. Good stuff in, in that way, but um, I don't want to spoil stuff for the series. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. <laughs>